This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm I'm really excited about today's guest, David Nurse. He is a former professional basketball player, NBA shooting coach, and current NBA life and optimization coach to dozens of NBA players. He's written two best-selling books, Pivot and Go and Breakthrough, runs a successful motivational coaching business, and is highly sought after as a speaker hired by companies like Dell, Salesforce, ESPN, the NBA, and more. Uh, he helps thousands of employees and athletes develop unshakable mindsets. He's also a husband to his beautiful wife, Taylor, was named a top 50 keynote speaker and holds two, we'll ask about this, Guinness World Records. It's been too long, David. Welcome. <laughs> Sammy, thanks, man. That introduction blows me away. So you are now officially my agent. You're signed. <laughs> all right, cool. I, I, take, I, bet, I take about 50%. That's it. Just half. Well, they all take anyway. So yeah, normal. <laughs> Let's uh, let's dive into your background. I I, I got to always be mindful of the guest here. So I know your story, but I want to hear it. So what's your background? How do you become an NBA life and optimization coach? Where does that begin? Man, let's bring it all the way back to the cornfields of small town Pella, Iowa, where all I wanted to do was be an NBA player. That's literally what I dreamed of. I'd go out in my driveway when it's snowing out and I'd shoot baskets until my fingers were frozen. And my vertical leap, Jamie, is about two inches, give or take two inches. So my mom and dad, they should have said, hey, you know what? Try this like golf or tennis thing. Maybe that's better suited for you. But I loved basketball. Poured every waking hour into it. And I grinded my way to get to play college basketball. Played at Western Illinois. And I wanted to keep going. I got professional. I'm still playing in the NBA, you know? I mean, all those Western Illinois alums that have played in the NBA. <laughs> no backup plan. And, and I'm playing over in Australia and then Greece and Spain. And it sounds really cool to say pro playing professionally overseas. But for being honest, it's more like the Will Ferrell semi-pro type of league than it is actual professional basketball. But Jamie, I am still saying and thinking this NBA thing is for me. Like this is, I didn't have another plan. So first game of the preseason in Spain, and right afterwards, my coach, we're walking outside the arena and he comes up to me and says, David, you can't cut it. We're sending you home. So just right there, even the first preseason game in a second division Spanish basketball league where more people were concerned about drinking beers at halftime than they were the actual game. I get cut. All my hopes and goals and dreams taken away from me, undercut, basically turned upside down, face rubbed in the dirt. I'm sent home. I'm living on my parents' recliner chair for six months, feeling bad for myself and my mom would always say these motivational and inspirational quotes, and it was usually whatever, mom, you know, in one ear, out the other ear. But she said this one that stuck with me vividly. She was doing dishes. I was kicked back in the chair being a bum like I was. And she said, David, when one door closes, four open, and an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. And I was like, well, I, I thought it was one door, one door. What's this, this four doors and beachfront thing? And what she was saying, that everything that I'd poured into my life to play into the NBA was not for me to be able to actually play, was for me to be able to teach players who had more God-given ability, seven-foot height, and athleticism. So everything that I had done in my life was not for waste. And often we see these types of 
roadblocks, these doors closing of like, whoa, man, well, I used, I spent all this time and now it's taken away from me. No, you spend all that time preparing you for something better to come. Life is like a long hallway, long hallway. There's doors on each side. You go in there, you learn something. Okay, it's going to prepare you for the next. Go in the next one and you keep going forward. So I learned how to literally like optimize my mind, my body to be able to play basketball. I just didn't have the God-given ability. So it's like, all right, now I'm going to coach in the NBA. But I didn't have any connections, Jamie. My uncle, who is now the Toronto Raptors head coach, was not in the NBA then. So I didn't have those connections. So I hand wrote a letter to every NBA GM just telling them something I admired about their organization. And if I could serve them in any way. It wasn't a me saying, hey, give me a job and I'll outwork everybody. No, that's what 8 million other people were doing. So I just separate myself. No calls back. No letters back. Nothing. For a month and a half. And I got a call from a 310 area code, which is Los Angeles. It was the GM of the Clippers, Gary Sachs. And we had a you know normal conversation at the end of it. He said, if you're ever out in LA, look me up, we'll grab coffee. Basically, good luck with the rest of your life. But I took it as an opportunity. He offered it, so I'm taking it. So I booked a ticket to LA to be out there that next week. I spent all my money, stole some of my parents' money to act like I had a basketball camp so I didn't look desperate. I prepared my butt off for the meeting and we hit it off. It was a great meeting. Gary and I became friends. I actually lived with him when I moved out to L.A. later on. He was in my wedding. He's introduced me. He was the spark that has introduced me to all of my NBA connections. That spark right there. Good friends like Eric Spolstra and eventually how I coached with the Nets. And getting to that point, like I couldn't just wait around for people to give me a job. So I'm making these connections and I'm cultivating these relationships over years but I had to take action. You can't just sit around and wait for the phone to ring and somebody's going to be like, hey, you take this job. No, I had to make myself the expert in something. So the NBA would want me. Far too often we think, you know what, they're just going to want, why would they want you? The phone's not going to ring unless you make them want you. So all I could do was shoot. So I decided, okay, well, why don't I be a shooting coach? I can teach it. Let's do this. So I custom made these basketballs from China, terrible leather, had this white line down the middle so you could see the rotation on the ball for shooting camps. They sent them out to the Oakland Seaport. Problem is I had this small car and it's all I had. So I drove out there 29 hours, put them in my trunk and spent the next five years basically driving around the country, sleeping in well-lit Walmart parking lots, crashing on friends' couches who did not know I was their friend, doing basketball camps for anybody and their cousin who would take me in. Fast forward five years, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I wake up, I'm doing a basketball camp down there. Wake up in the morning, check my email. There's an email. It says Brooklyn Nets shooting coach. I'm like, hmm, don't know anybody from Brooklyn. This can't be real. Click the check mark box to delete it, but then thought, you know what? I'm curious. Let's see what this is. Open it up. The next week, I'm the Brooklyn Nets shooting coach, and I've made it into the NBA. Now there's a lot of more doors closing and pivots made after that, but that's how we got into the NBA. Pivot is an interesting word. So, and I'm curious about this because I think a lot of people, and I've been up against this, I'm sure you have as well, uh, other than uh, this story, where, uh, you know, am I ready to move? Am I ready to pivot? Is it the right time to pivot? So I think of, you've told stories about Steph Curry. Steph Curry was told by scouts 
that he's not tall enough. He's not good enough. He's at best a bench player, right? And of course, he's become Steph Curry. So when do you know it's time to pivot versus you're three feet from gold? How do you know that, hey, I'm on this path, I'm grinding, I'm pushing, I'm working. How do you know when to give up or when to pivot? That's such a great question. And that is that is the secret sauce right there. I don't think there's an exact time that I've seen, but you also have to think, okay, well, am I seeing any type of momentum in this? Am I seeing any type of wins coming from this? If I'm like literally trying to get into the NBA and I should have seen this, that people are saying, David, you're not athletic enough. You're not tall enough. And everybody is saying that there's probably something to that. So that's why it's so important. Here's the most important thing that you can do. Surround yourself, find people that will tell you the truth. If you're just going to be around yes, man, and be the American Idol singer who everybody says, you know, keep going. You're great. You're going to make it someday. And you suck. <laughs> like that's not doing anybody's service. You can have your support group, but you need people to challenge you as well. So one, yes, keep going. Don't give up. That type of mindset is great. Phenomenal. But also look around like, all right, well, am I developing skill sets that are going to help me in some other way? It's just like, you know, the players that can't play at a high level, they end up coaching because they have to learn it at a higher level. And just ask, like, be be fully transparent with people. Like, do you see, like, can I do this? Is there really a future in this? And if people are, yeah, I mean, if it's people that you trust that you surround yourself with, yeah, then keep going, keep going until the point of, that it feels like, well, I've just been banging my head against the wall for three years and I don't really love doing this anymore. Ultimately, though, Jamie, if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that's the first piece. If you're doing something that has purpose for others, that's the second piece. So if you can hit passion and purpose, you're on the right track. You're on a mission. Now, that mission might evolve. Like my mission as a development coach evolved into a speaker and an author because I really loved inspiring the players, showing them how to live better. It wasn't necessarily the, hey, I love this step back jumper that I'm going to teach you the exact mechanics in it or the X's and O's. That wasn't my love. So think about if you're in something, you're banging your head against the wall. Are there areas that you really love in this? And could that translate somewhere else? So I think a big, big part of it, too, man, is just like is really being aware of it. Like the, the the analysis at the end of the day, I do something where it's five minutes at the end, end of each day, and I'm just going to analyze the day. Like, how did it go? Like, what were my wins from the day? What did I struggle in? And then at the end of each week, I take an hour at the end of each week on a Friday. The end of each month, I'll take a half a day. Every three months, I'll take an entire day. And it's just analyzing how it's going, assessing it. Because if we don't, and far too many of us don't, we just get caught in this hamster wheel and we just keep going and going with our head down, but we never get to actually see, well, am I on the right path or am I just continuing to go in circles? Makes sense. I want to go back a second because something you said was interesting to me about acting like you had a basketball camp when you went met with the Clippers GM. Can you expand on that? So you you were acting like you had a camp. In other words, you were, you were inflating, I guess, to, to some extent your qualifications or just what you were doing at that particular time to try to win favor with this with this general manager, correct? Well, not actually. Oh. I was actually taking alleviating pressure from him because if I would have said, hey, I'm flying out to Los Angeles 
to meet with you. I like that. Yeah. Then he would have had he would have felt like there's a burden on him. But instead, he had said, "Hey, if you're out in LA, okay, so I'm going to be out in LA." Mm-hmm. And I've been running basketball camps, just started basketball camp, so it made sense. So you don't like if someone gives you that, hey, alleviate the pressure from them so they don't feel like they ha- they owe you something. Got you. Okay, I wanted to just touch on next. I was going to ask yeah, about like is, is, how do you how do you you know sort of lean into that next level without saying something that might not be true. But I completely get where you are now. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, I've heard you talk about fear, and it's funny. I've always said the biggest fear is fear of failure. Uh, but really what underlies that is fear of judgment. But you've taken it to another level, which I like more, which is the fear of the unknown. So the fear of the unknown is what you say is the biggest fear. Can you expand on that a little bit and how you overcome that? 100%, man. And and, and I believe that it is. And think about this in your own life. Like you fear death. Majority of people fear death. If they say they don't, they're probably lying. But if I told you the day that you're going to die, you could say it's hopefully it's like 40, 50, 60 years from now, depending on how old you are. You wouldn't be as afraid of it because you can actually conceptualize that there's going to be a time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I you do. can feel like, okay, oh, I know how you have this much time. This is actually going to happen. But when you don't know what's going to happen, that's why the worst case scenario always continues to play in our mind. There's literally been studies done. It was 91.8% the studies done that people don't, the worst case scenario doesn't happen. But yet we often find ourselves thinking, man, well, what's the worst that can happen? And I know it's simple to say, but it's, it's the awareness that you have to have. Like, think about well, what's the best that can happen? Because we don't, we don't we don't even think about that. There's a best case scenario, too. But you fall, fall in the worst case. So the story I like to tell of the fear of the unknown, how powerful it is. When I was playing in Australia, I went shark diving with great white sharks off the coast of Australia. And they take you about five hours literally off the coast, probably so if you get eaten, nobody will know. And <laughs> yeah. they drop you down in this cage. And these sharks, you see them before you go down there, they're massive. Like I can describe them, but until you actually see a great white up close, yeah. it's it's like a it's like a dinosaur. Watch Jurassic Park. It literally looks like that. So they put you down in this cage, four people, each corner is filled. And I mean, when you see the sharks up close, like it's scary, but it's not that scary because you know that they're there. You're aware that they're there. Mm. But when you don't see a shark and you're looking, your eyes are darting around, scanning the sea, see when they're going to strike, you feel it, you're tense. That's the scariest part, the fear of the unknown. And then the cage will just rattle like crazy. So that's like life. Like We don't we, we fear what's going to happen. We fear, well, am I going to make enough money? Can I provide well, what if I get sick? Well, what if like, well, what if like we live in these what ifs, these what ifs in the future control our present and the greatest like line or mindset that I can give for you on this is so we have the past, we have the present and we have the future. <laughs> A lot of us will allow, let our past dictate our present and hold us back from our future. But the past has happened for a reason. You have to accept the past. You can blame the past, sure. It's either two people. You blame the past or you learn from the past. The ones that succeed learn from the past. So you accept the past for what it is because you cannot change it. There is no need to go back and think, well, my parents raised me this way or, you know, I was born in this little cornfield of Iowa so no one gets out of there. Like, 
No. Blame all you want. Excuses will always be there if you want them. Accept the past. Appreciate the present. Meaning, Jamie, me and you, we're at the spot we are for a reason and a purpose. Sure, we strive to be higher up or looked at as like these great thought leaders that everybody wants to come to. But that's not us right now. We have to like we literally have to appreciate the present. We'll get there. That time will come. But if we drive ourselves nuts in the present, it will never come. It's cliche to say, do the best you can with what you have given. But it's honestly in that belief that it will come, but it won't come if you continue to stress about it. You'll drive yourself nuts if you continue to stress about it. And then anticipate the future. Like when you go, when you're a kid, when you go to Disney World, the most fun part of it is not the actual Disney World. Disney World can be standing in lines. It could be a headache. It's anticipation for it. It's what's to come. So instead of looking at things in the future like, well, how am I going to make it? Or will I ever be able to afford this or get a house? No, no, look forward to it. You will. What's it going to look like? And how beautiful is it going to be to have that? You know, when you get married, when you find the one, like how great is that going to be? Anticipate the future. I love that, man. There's a lot of people that, and I know I've done this, that want the that want the not. You know, they're, they're, what they want is what they don't want, right? So it's, I don't want to have stress. I don't want my job. I don't want this bad relationship. I don't want to be broke, right? As opposed to what they do want. And I was actually just studying this or reading about this. You ever heard of ironic process theory? No, tell me about it. That's I thought this was interesting. Well, here's the, I wrote it down. It's the conscious attempt uh, to suppress thoughts, which makes them more likely to manifest. So in other words, if you say, <laughs> I don't want a jo- my job, you're going to get more of your job, or I don't want to be yeah. in this relationship. You're going to get more of theirs, or I don't want to be fat. Then yeah, it's like the universe doesn't hear the 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 verb or the or the the, the contraction in it, in front of it. Like they don't hear don't. It just says what job? Well, here you go. It's job, more job for you, right? <laughs> As opposed to focusing your attention on on uh, what you what you do want and focusing on really your gifts and your passions, like you talked about. And with that point, I'm curious about this, and I'm trying to balance because your message is really strong. What you just said, being present, being here in the present. And this question might might be more like, okay, well, how do you do this in the future? But I'll let you take it. Passion and purpose. I love those phrases. I love what they are. I love, I love the idea of leaning into those things, like know what your purpose is. You know, your passion is rooted there and go all in on that. I remember listening to you somewhere talk about like, whatever, your passion's coffee beans, then be, go, go all in on coffee beans. <laughs> but the question people ask though, and I know I've done this is, well, how do I, how do I make money on loving coffee beans? Like, how do I make money on, I love, I love, uh, uh, you know, riding my bicycle around town. Like, how, how do you how do you coach somebody or teach somebody, or is there a way, or is there advice you would give to somebody who says, "No, I really know what I love." Like, if I had a hundred mil in the bank, I know what I would do with my time. But I don't have a hundred mil in the bank, so I don't know how that thing, that passion of mine, that I feel some sense of purpose around, I don't know how that makes me a living, or how I can do that to serve others in such a way that I can make a living from it. I, does that question make sense? Super good question. And it's a really easy answer, to be honest. No. So even in giving these examples, like, hey, I just want to ride my bike around town. Okay, yeah, great. But that's a hobby. Like, is riding your bike around town helping somebody? Okay, so if you like to ride your bike around town, well, how about you give lessons to these kids at the school who don't know how to ride their bike around town? Or with the coffee beans, okay, you love coffee beans. All right, well, why don't you go work at a coffee shop and you can really help people? You can, like... That's 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 a story I tell, like how attractive it is when you go to that coffee place and 
instead of the guy just being like, yeah, here's your, you know, your Starbucks. But, but he's like, oh, this bean roasted in 39 degrees, Nicaragua. Like, you love that. True. That's passion. Yeah. You have that. So if you say, hey, one, if I had a million dollars, a hundred million dollars, then I know what it is. No, you wouldn't. You just yeah. do your hobbies and you'd have more problems and you blow that money. You're not ready for that. People think they're ready for that. People think they're ready, man. I want to step on this big stage in front of 10. No, you're not. You're not ready for it. So you have, if you have this passion, tie it to the purpose. Go, uh, go teach it to people. You can be, you can make literally this day and age that we live in. You can make money doing anything. People make millions of dollars videotaping themselves going through video games. Are you kidding me? Like you just have to think a little bit outside the box and then you have to, you have to like literally also know it's not going to happen quickly. You will not make a lot of money if you start something that you love right off the bat. That's why the best advice I can give you is hide the ships. Don't burn the ships, hide the ships. Keep working at the at the job that is making you money. Hey, that's your stability. And then figure out where in your day can you just pour a little water on that seed? Where can you in the morning? Can you have 30 minutes? Or is it just five minutes a day? Something. But if you take these daily steps, you're going to continue to stack these. And at some point, the pendulum is going to equal itself out. Where now you are, okay, okay, now I'm making some side money. I've got the side hustle. Oh, I love doing this. Okay, well, I'm, I'm making enough that I can support my family, that it makes sense for me to step away. Now this becomes what I'm fully doing. If you look at anybody, major, let's say 99% of people, like they didn't just hit it big from the start. Like they had to grind. They had to do things that they didn't like to do. And that's what I tell people. Like if you embrace doing things other people don't love to do, you will always be successful. So wrapping that all back, you have your thing that excites you and really think about it. Like, how is this actually helping somebody? You can absolutely have hobbies playing video games like that's kind of an anomaly. But you could if it was the bike riding, teach people how to ride bikes, set up a company, start small. That's going to take people on epic bike hikes and you're going to just really come together as a community, this biking community. They're paying a hundred dollars a session. You've got 10 people in there. Okay. Now they're going to go like they get $10 for everybody that they bring in. And like, then you're, you're running a business and you're riding bikes. Mm. Everything can be done. You just have to literally like know that it's not going to happen fast. Tie your passion with your purpose of what it's doing for other people. And that's when you'll feel that's, that's when you'll be in your sweet spot. It's amazing, man. That's I think that's the jump that people don't make that I didn't make for a long time. It's like, it's not about how do I get money from people? It's like, how do I serve with this thing that I love, this gift that I have for whatever it is? How do I serve? So yeah, riding bikes or, you know, I mean, look, I, I saw this thing in Iceland. There are like water connoisseurs, almost like a sommelier, like a wine expert who literally like tastes this water. It's got a hint of this or whatever, <laughs> but they're, they're serving other people with this amazing gift that they have. I love that. I wrote that down. Is it helping somebody? That's the question. If yeah. this passion, how do I help somebody with it, right? And figure out what you're the expert in. Make yourself yeah. an expert. Nike says it. My friend ran Nike marketing for 20 years, and every single time they would say, what are we famous for? That's the question they'd ask themselves. What are you famous for? Like, think about what can you be an expert in? And then just really, like, go all in on that. Hone those skills. Make yourself that. If, you're, if you want to be the Iceland water guy, totally cool. 
Like there's a guy over in the, the hills of Ireland. He is the cashmere sweater guy. Like if you want the highest level cashmere, he's got these sheep and he's just doing the wool kind of thing. And he's the guy. Be the guy for something. But right. you, have, you have to like in that sense, too, where people get mistaken, like you have to go. You have to be narrow. You have to have a niche. You have to have your your go to thing. You can't say, well, I just want to impact the world and speak to everybody. No, Tony Robbins can do that. But he didn't start that way. You have to start small and then you're able to grow big. Uh, Dr. Evil impersonator. I corner the market on that, man. I got this, right? Bald, <laughs> pasty, the whole nine. That's my market. I know how I can serve others. I can entertain. Awesome, kind of a mix. I'm short. So mix between Dr. Evil and mini me. So I'm kind of <laughs> the hybrid. The hybrid. There you go. That's my name. All right. Let's talk about this uh, this concept of a breakthrough because this is you wrote a whole book on it. Let's start with this. What What is a breakthrough? What are the elements that make up a breakthrough? From your perspective. Yes. So first understand a breakthrough. When you think about it, you're probably like, well, I don't know what that is. It's because it's an abstract term. You can't physically grasp what a breakthrough is. Most people will think, well, it's a little happy accident that happened. Okay. Well, I hope it continues to happen. That's a stroke of luck. Breakthroughs, you can actually create your own breakthroughs, set yourself up for when they're going to happen. Now, going into this, I can't tell you exactly like, hey, you say, you know what, Tuesday at 8 o'clock at 8 a.m., I want this breakthrough. No. But if you live in this mold, you will prepare yourself to have continual breakthroughs happen. So it's broken down into four sectors. The first is confidence. This is who. Who are you? It does not start with why. You have to first understand who you are at the core, meaning if everything was taken away from you, if your business card was taken away from you, if all that was stripped away, Are you okay with who you are? Do you first love who you are as a person? Are you a loving, caring father, a loving, caring mother, a great friend? Like without any business, who you are, your self-awareness. So it starts with who. Once you know this, once you're comfortable with who you are, it's the where, meaning where is the team around you? You cannot do anything individually. It's all a collective effort. And this is where you want to surround yourself with people who are what I call misfits. Like think about it, the greatest leader in history, whether you believe he's a savior or not, which I do, Jesus Christ comes down. And who's he picked to be on his team to change the trajectory of the world? Does he pick these empire, like emperors or kings and stuff? No, he's got your tax collector, your fisherman. He's got these misfits he puts together. Yeah. Same thing, the Chicago Bulls 98, best NBA team, in my opinion, in history. Do they have all superstars that are all scorers? Nope. Jordan, best scorer. Pippen, best sidekick. Kerr, best shooter. Rodman, best crazy man. You don't know what color hair he's going to show up with every night or if he's going to get kicked out of the game or not. The wild card. So surround yourself with people who have different strengths. You have a strength. Think of yourself as a Formula One race car driver. Get the best tire guy. Get the best gas guy. Get the best windshield wiper guy. Put those on your team. So figure out where your team is. And then now you know who you are. You know the team around you. And this does, even physically, like it's great if you can be around physically around people that that are going to be in this. But but virtually, we live in a virtual world. Even if you don't know these people, you can say, well, I'm going to listen to the Ed Milet podcast every day and I'm going to get filled up. I'm going to listen to my podcast every day, Jamie's podcast every day, and I'm going to get filled up. I'm going to make my virtual table. Okay, so now the third piece is the what. What are you doing? 
Like, what are you actually doing? You know who you are. You know where your team is, but what are you doing? And this comes back to the service piece, because if you are doing what you're doing for your own gain, for social media likes, for a bank account, you will be miserable. You will never find true joy. And you can just look at the, the Steve Jobs, for example, on his deathbed, made a ton of money, had massive, but he, he, he said he was miserable because he did it all for himself. Mm. So you're not going to be the first one in history to change that narrative. Who can you serve? And what service means, what true service means is, yeah, of course, go, you know, help out the local food bank. That's awesome. But it's giving your time and energy when it is not convenient for you. Giving your time and energy when it's not convenient for you, when it doesn't align with your Google color cordon calendar, Zoom meetings, all of this. If somebody needs you, will you take the time to be there for them? If someone just needs a word of encouragement too, man, service can just be encouragement. Encouragement is literally the gift we all have. And a word of encouragement can change the trajectory of someone's entire life. Think about that. Everybody listening, think about that time. You you can vividly remember when somebody, when you were younger, a teacher, a coach, a parent, spoke life into you. It was just a word. Changed your life. So service, how you serve in others. And the fourth part is the why. Why are you doing it? It's the purpose of it. Now, we've talked about purpose. Why doing it for other people? And the greatest thing you can understand in this, is it's not necessarily what you are doing. It's why. If you're in a job that you don't like, that's okay. 85% of people are. But you don't have to stay in that job. And if you're in that job and you have kids, let's say, for example, and you're just moping, you know, I hate this. Just I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy. No. You do that job. And you show your kids an example of what it looks like to work hard, what it looks like to be consistent, to be accountable. Like you're able to teach your kids lessons through something you might not actually enjoy doing, all knowing that you have something greater coming if you're living in this formula. So the why doesn't necessarily mean what you're doing, but it means why. Why are you doing this? That's your purpose. You put this formula together, and if you know who you are, you're, you're cool with that? You're, you're confident in your self-awareness? You've got your team around you daily? You're reaching out to people? You're encouraging? You're serving people? And you know that you are meant for more? You have your why? You have your purpose of what you're doing for others? Breakthroughs are going to happen. They're literally going to happen. But also, that being said, it's, it's like brushing your teeth. You're not going to have pearly white teeth if you just say, yeah, let me check this uh toothpaste thing out. I'm going to try this one time, see what happens. No, they'll rot. Same thing with this. You try it one time, eh, you know what? It'll just be happy accidents. But if you continue to do it, continue to do it and be aware of it, then you will create breakthroughs in your life. That's so powerful. You make me th- actually uh, the go abundance. I think a go abundance on that second point. Like you said, I, that's exactly a team of misfits. You know, it's a bunch of guys that are entrepreneurs who don't know enough people in their regular life that's su- that can understand where their perspective is, right? Most people, like you said, they have their job. They want to stay safe in this job and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. They're happy in other ways, I'm sure. But when you're, when you're growing in a certain direction, not better, not worse, but in a different direction, finding people that you can relate to, be understood by, be held accountable by, like you said, not yes men, but people that can really push you is so important. So, uh, man, that's exactly why I joined this group. And look, shameless plug, 
gobundance.com apply for membership. It's uh, it's been incredible for me. That's been the biggest change in my life, to be honest with you, is finding people like that around me. So um, I appreciate that and all of it. Jamie, but that's not a shameless plug either. Like I I tell people that too. If you have something that can help people and change their lives, you tell it. Like I know this book breakthrough can change people's lives. I've had people hit me up and say, this has literally changed my life. Go abundance the same way. Like that's no shameless plug. That's a thing people need. That's a great point. If I were talking about your book, Breakthrough, I would say what I've said to you and others. It's the best book I've read at least this year. I could probably go back. I read a lot of books. I read, uh, you know, every month I'm reading at least one, right? So I read a lot of books and Breakthrough just was not only formulaic, but it was, it was interesting and it just, it laid things out. What we were talking about before in simple terms, right? It, it was the concepts beneath them were deep and meaningful, but the terminology, the way you laid it out, it was just, I don't know. It, it made sense. It flowed. I told you I'm buying one for everyone in our Ascend group. And um, for you, I mean, I, I hope everybody on this podcast orders a copy because it is, I, I did it on Audible. It was a, a fairly quick listen too. I always do like one and a half X speed or whatever, but man, I've done it twice. I've listened to the book twice at this point. It's it's that good. So now you're right. I would not say, ah, shameless plug on Breakthrough. I'd say, no, it's life-changing. It honestly is. So kudos to you for putting in the world. I mean that. I mean Thanks. that. One Thanks. thing I'm kind of curious about. So as I've gotten into this world of knowing you a little bit, um, I, I think guys like Eric Wood, Jordan Montgomery, who's like the super connector of connectors to your point, that one spark um, and others, people that I, I admire and see as being highly successful. All of you, all of them, everybody comes down to faith. I'm curious about how, I, I don't know, is, is faith a prerequisite? And I'm thinking about you're around amazing athletes that are, that are, that are, you know, performing at the highest level of of their craft, which we all see because they're athletes, the NBA, right? Is how critical is faith to the process of a breakthrough? And you could take that faith any way you want. Faith in Jesus, faith in something, faith in yourself, but uh, maybe break that down. How critical is it to be a faith-based being uh, in order for you to have breakthroughs? Great question. And I'm just going to speak for my own experience and what I've seen and what I know. But to answer your question, it is yes and no. So you can be successful without faith, but you will never have ultimate joy without it. You can be successful, and I've been around a lot of millionaires, billionaires, but they don't have the deeper meaning to faith. And man, like some of the most miserable people that I've been around. So for me, like I know that this life that I'm living and like wanting to grow this great speaking awareness books and all of this, like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Not saying that it doesn't matter in helping people, but it doesn't matter in the great grand scheme of things of whether I grow something great or not. I am not determined by my success. I'm playing with house money here, knowing that. So I believe that Jesus' son was sent down. He took away all the sins that that were meant for us and allow us to live in freedom. And this belief takes so much pressure off myself. I don't walk into a room and thinking, well, I have to perform, like I have to come through. I have to like, no, I I tell people like, literally, like, I don't care what you think. I want you to like me. Sure. But I'm not going to go home and just be worried about what you think of me. I have my wife, my smoking hot wife, and I've got God and that's all I need. And so, yeah, it gives me a much deeper meaning. And I think we all literally are searching for that, whether we want to admit it or not. 
And my, my thing that I would challenge you out there, people out there listening, is the universe. People will say, hey, it's, you know, it's just the universe, the, the, the universe aligned. Okay, well, who created the universe? Like, well, it's science and science. Okay, well, who created science? So if you look, if you actually do historical dives and studies on this, most people will discredit Jesus because they haven't done any kind of studies. They'll be like, yeah, well, you know, it's just the universe. No, no, no. Go watch The Case for Christ. Read the book, The Case for Christ. That'll change your entire mindset on it. But in all of the Bible of the things that are going to happen, the prophecies, so many of them, they're in there. Every single one of them has been hit. Like, How does that happen by happen chance? And people are like, yeah, no, you're discrediting. And, and then you even think of like, well, let's go deeper. Well, Julius Caesar, who everybody, like, they'll say like, well, yeah, of course he was a real guy. Yeah, absolutely. There's like seven books or seven things written about Julius Caesar dating all the way back there. Like seven that say he was an actual, actually happened. Yeah, he, I'm sure he did. There's like 7,000 from back in that time saying that Jesus was real and Jesus lived and Jesus did these things. So it's, it's easy to discredit. And I'm not here saying that you have to believe. I'm just telling you from my life, it, it, like I wasn't always a believer in college. Can I ask you all, that? Yeah. It was yeah, all yeah. about me, man. It was, it was like, I was, and if you looked at my life from the outside, you'd be like, this dude has it all. Big man on campus for basketball, you know, like all this parties and everything. And it had those, those, those highs of feeling good in the moment. But then there was always that empty feeling the next day when I woke up. And I, a teammate of mine, he was a freshman, coach's son, asked me to go to this thing called Fuel when I was a senior in college. And it was just this just hangout of believers, believers in Jesus. Not saying church. Church is burnt people. Jesus didn't come to build a church. Like he didn't build religion. He doesn't talk about religion. It's just this relationship. People have this relationship with Jesus. And like I, I came away from there the first time thinking they were on drugs. Like there's... They're praising, you know, everybody was happy, joy, like, this can't be real. I got to keep going back. Let's see what drug that they're on. Let me get some of this. Sure. Kept going back, kept going back. And I realized, man, that joy is just because they know Jesus. They have a relationship with Jesus. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like a snap of the fingers, like, oh, we have a believer. And, and what people get messed up, too, is like, you think that you can't have fun if you believe. You think you can't, like... Yeah. You know, they're like, well, I'll, yeah, I'll believe it. I'll have my fun then. And then I'll ask them, like, well, do you like, would you want to go to heaven? Do you like, you think that'd be good? Like when you die? Like, yeah, of course I want to go to heaven. So if heaven is literally being close to God, being in unison with God all day long, whatever days look like, why would you not want that on earth? You want that in heaven, but you don't want that on earth. And it's just a question to be like, oh, you know what? But all that to be said, like, there's no way I can do what I do without without ha having belief in Jesus and having my everything rooted in faith. That's amazing, man. Thanks for that. Again, I was going to ask you, have you ever had a crisis of faith? It sounds like you you had your moment where you almost, I guess, a drug induced Christ moment, like you were snorting <laughs> Christ. Is that what happened? Yeah, basically. Man, Christ? I, <laughs> I mean, I went to church when I was young, but I didn't have a, a true relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was always disenfranchised, like you said, with religion. I'd always felt... Yeah. I don't know, hypocritical to me, but faith for me has always been there, you know, to some extent yeah. wanes and comes, but the older I get, especially the more, the more powerful it becomes. Um, mm -hmm. Let's go back for a second. I actually, I jotted this down and we've got a little bit of time left here. I wanted to ask you about this on the, on the concept of those you surround yourself with. You've got this, this is interesting to me, the golden 15, 
your golden 15. What does that mean? And why is it 15? So 15 is a number that I came up with, like I can actually have like deep, deep relationships with. Mm. Like I have connections and friendships with hundred over a hundred people. And sometimes it's like overwhelming, like, oh, I've got to stay in touch with this person. But 15 is a number that I've been able to come up with. Like I can really go deep with these people. And I want these 15 people to be people that are doing amazing things for the world. People that are very driven. People that when I get in the room with them, like I'm like, whoa, I want to be better. I walk out of there like, man, I like I can go do this. Like John Gordon's one of those people for me. Anytime I'm around John, it just inspires me. It's like, dude, he's doing this. Like he's encouraging me. Or Ed Milet's one of those guys. Anytime I'm around him, like everything that I'm doing seems small, but it's encouraging. Like I can do this. He's done it. So surrounding yourself with 15 people that also like they like I talked about, they have different strengths. So it, like I've got someone in my golden 15 who is one of the most powerful real estate people and the smartest in real estate. So if I ever need real estate advice, I'm going to hit him or someone who's an incredible like just trainer, nutrition, the body, the mind, all of that. Like I think I'm good at it, but he's way better than me. If I need any advice there, I'm going to hit him. So it's also setting yourself up with people that will help you grow. People that you pour into deep, true, meaningful relationships, but also people that can help you grow. I love it. The uh, In the book, too, you talk, I don't think this is your golden 15, but your breakthrough team. Uh, and I'll tease this. People kind of had to go read the book for this. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, you wanted Phil Jackson in your on your breakthrough team, maybe part of your golden 15. Yeah. Didn't quite happen. And it was an interesting story, I thought. Um, that was your book, right? Yes, that was definitely yeah. your book. So <laughs> you looked at me a little sideways, like, what are you talking about? It's like, wait, wait, did I think of the wrong oh, book? No, you got it spot on, man. Got it. I was going to say, I've listened to it twice. I better know it by now. So <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. Uh, that and many other things. So definitely go get the book. Um, let me end on this, this question. And, I, you know, the reason why what the work you've done has been impactful to me and why I was honestly humbled when you said, yeah, hey, man, I'll do this pod with you for sure. I was like, wow, cool. Thank you for doing it. Is again concepts like look, uh, and we don't go, we don't have to go through them. But you you talk about imposter syndrome in a completely different way than I've ever heard anybody talk about it. It, it. it celebrates it, which is crazy to me, and it made me feel like, wow, okay, cool. I feel better about the fact that I have it. Right. So there's that. You talk about grace and pace. You talk about you know like when you get into these morning habits or routines or whatever, and you you, know, you slide off of them a little bit. Give yourself some grace, right? It's it's the long term. I think you even said. One out of three uh, is a Hall of Famer in baseball. So if you hit one out of three habits in a day, it's pretty good, right? Like give yourself some grace. We're coming up against the shift in the world. You can just feel it, right? The war, interest rates climbing, economic conditions are changing. Changing, You know, when when the getting is good, the giving is easy, I feel like, right? In other words, everybody believes in giving and giving and giving when the return is just abundant. It's almost like, it's almost one for one. It's just crazy. The way the world has been so far, there's been financial progress, stability, excess, all of that all around us. Now you're starting to see people rein in a little bit, not sure of what's going to come. And I can feel this in me. My monkey brain is like retracting into, you know, make sure you protect yourself first, getting away from the give a little bit, maybe, right? H how do you avoid that? How do you avoid going into this? Like, are there some routines or habits or anything that you do that you would recommend or whatever that you avoid retracting into get mode when giving isn't as sexy or giving isn't as immediately fruitful? Wow. This might be one of my favorite questions of all time. This oh, is wow. awesome. Thank you. So <laughs> seriously, that is it. Number one, you have absolutely done your homework. 
Like this is your question asking is so, so good. Oh, thank you. So, all right. Now think about this. Anything that the media is telling you and they're saying, hey, recession's coming. Recession, like anything in the media is telling you, ask yourself this. You have to ask you the question. Is there an agenda behind it? Is it, is it, are they telling you the complete truth or do they want you to feel fear? Which one do you think it is? And if you think they're telling you the complete truth, yeah, you're being lied to. So first (laughs) of all, like I don't do a recession. Like I don't do a recession. Like they can say that it is, but they're just going to look at the numbers and look at the things that make you go into fear. That is what drives media. If you ask anybody at any network, and I know people at networks, what do they want? They want fear stories. They want people to feel fear. They want control. Do you think the government wants you to have control or them to have control? Think about those things. So one of my rule of thumbs is anything that the masses are doing, I'm going the other way. Like mm. you probably heard this, they say the masses are the asses. Yeah, it's true. No, I haven't heard that. That's good though. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll run the other way from that. Yeah. So I don't do the recession. And then you also think of like, well, like, okay, this is also an opportunity. If everything's going to be low, like that's a great time to go in. That's a great time to buy. This is the, like once the stocks go low, oh, I'm going in yeah. because they always come back up. Yeah. It's just life. It goes in cycles. Like I, I don't want for... For people that have a lot of money in real estate and stuff, like obviously I don't want them to suffer. But yeah, if the real estate market dips down, you bet I'm happy. I'm going in on that too. And it's just understanding like it's all going to come back up. But if you live in this mindset of like there's there's not enough, it's that you're going to feel that way. Even if you look back in the past, I think it's like in the past three years, something, I might get this number wrong. There's been more money printed in the past three years than there has been in history. There's money out there. It's going to come. So understand that you don't do a recession. And it's a great time. Like the Golden Gate Bridge was built during the Great Depression. There's Go look at those things. There's so many great businesses that started during 2008. Like go look at all these and you'll see this. But also go harder at, at giving. Go harder at giving. And when I say this is the, the, one of the biggest things that's ever changed my life financially has been tithing. And I know we're coming back to faith and people are like, oh, tithing, tithing. No, 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 no. Like the money that you have is not yours. You've been gifted with these abilities. You've been giving this, given this money. So it's just like God saying, hey, I, I trust you with this money, David. Let's see what you do with it. And if I return it, if I return 10% and me and my wife, we're, we're going to make us, we make ourselves uncomfortable. We're going up 2% each time, each year. So like, that's the first thing that has this. Is, and I didn't want to do it, man. Like, I definitely didn't want to do it. When I clicked that button of tithing to different church-based things and organizations, and, and it's hard. It's hard. You're like, nah, let me hold on to this because that's a big number. But God continues to pour more and more and more. And since the pandemic, since we went in this, like, just terrible time pandemic, I've made more money than I've ever made in my life. And it's because <laughs> I've aggressively given. And if you ask anybody like that have made it like it, a lot of that is going to be their answer because it's not ours and having that mindset, because it's just, it's the relationship with money that drives people nuts. And if you feel like you're holding on to it, holding on to it, and you don't have enough, you're going to be miserable because you're always going to feel that no matter what level you're at. And one of the best parts, like my favorite verses is in Matthew of the Bible. And it's, it just talks about. God takes care of the birds in the air. 
don't you think he'll take care of you? Like, if it, the birds are okay, if all these animals are okay, like, you're going to be okay. Man, that is so much that, first off, on the point about money, I, I forget where I heard this, but it was really good. And it was like, there's no better feeling with money than when you give it away, right? So if you're in a place of feeling like money is heavy, and that's what happens with me when I'm feeling a little bit of stress with money, I try, and I, maybe it's a bit tactical, but I try to like buy behind me at Starbucks or give money to, today I went to a, I went for a chiropractic adjustment. There was this poor little girl, one of the therapist's daughters who was terminal. And it was, there was a Venmo thing there to give to her. And it was just like, this is going to, I mean, it's going to help them. It's going to feel great. And feeling good about money brings more to you. It's a relationship, like you said. So I love that point. And what I think your gift is, and I've, you've probably been told this, but you, when you said, I don't do a recession, this is no BS. I, like a chill went up my spine. That was like, I needed to hear that. You know what I mean? Like I could feel something coming that's heavy and it's been weighing on me. And your gift seems to be that you take concepts that most of us kind of get drug into, whether it's media or mindset or whatever. And you just put this this other way on it, not a spin because that's fake, but you truly see the other side of it. You're zigging when everybody else is zagging. Man, that's a gift. And then to be able to communicate it and serve others with that. Now you're tying passion to purpose, brother. Thanks. Amazing. Where can people learn more about you? Where can people follow you? Where do you want to direct them right now? Hey, you can go to my website, davidnurse.com. There's a lot of information, links to, to my podcast, The Art Of, social media, David Nurse NBA. Uh, I do a newsletter. So yeah, a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that gives you a book, a podcast, and a mindset that I really think is impactful. You get that. And yeah, man. And then the books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, or I always tell everybody, if you want to come out to L.A. and deal with traffic, maybe we'll hang out out here. There you go. Man, I appreciate you being on. We'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing this again. Jamie, thank you so much, brother. Hi, brother. Well, that's it for this episode. But be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.